Do your kids want more Mystery Kids episodes? Are you sick of the same ones playing every single day? Well, we have the perfect place for you. Head over to become a Patreon today. For $5 a month, you'll get two more bonus episodes, plus episodes that are already in Patreon. Episodes like The Deepest Hole on Earth, The Great Emu War in Australia of 1932, The Bombing of Hawaii's Volcano, The Dancing Plague, The Ohio Grassman, and some animal fact episodes about the pangolin, the ai the axolotl, and the taipan, plus much, much more. This makes a wonderful birthday present for your kids and gives you way more to talk about as a family, which is the whole point of the Mystery Kids podcast. So for $5 a month, you can get two more bonus episodes plus all the past episodes. To become a patron, go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash Mystery Kids Pod and sign up today. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome to Mystery Kids Podcast. Today's episode might be your first step into true crime. I am a massive fan of true crime, and today's episode is quite a confusing episode. So just to be aware, this is an actual mystery that really did happen to some children back in the day. I'm going to try to keep this as clean as possible for a true crime um, mystery. But it just to be aware, this is something that involves true crime and a mystery. So you decide if your children are ready for this episode or not, because it is a little bit mysterious and spooky at the same time. So you might want to listen to it beforehand and make sure it's your child's speed. Today we are talking about the mystery of the missing solder children. Now, this is an absolutely confusing mystery that happened a long time ago, and I want to dive into it and try to understand what maybe happened, and maybe you'll be the one to solve this mystery. It was a typical Christmas Eve of 1945 in Fayetteville, West Virginia in the United States. An adorable family with the father being George Sauter and his wife, Jenny, were home with their children, not all of their children. They actually had 10 total children and nine of them were home at this time. Their son, Joseph, who was 21 years old, was missing as he was serving in the army that night, but the rest of the children were home for Christmas. At home at the time was 23-year-old John, 17-year-old Marion, 16-year-old George Jr., 14-year-old Maurice, 12-year-old Martha, 10-year-old Louis, 8-year-old Jenny, 5-year-old Betty, and 2-year-old Sylvia. Marion, the oldest daughter, had been working really hard downtown Fayetteville, and she came home and surprised her sisters, Martha, Jenny and Betty with new toys she bought for them as gifts. They were so excited to get these new gifts that they begged their mom if they could stay up later than their normal bedtime so they could play with the toys. It was about 10 p.m. when Jenny said, okay, yes, you can stay up and play with your toys, but only if the older boys stay with you, 14-year-old Maurice and 9-year-old Louis. And they need to remember to go put the cows in and feed the chickens before they go to bed themselves. 
So George, the father, and his two oldest sons had had a long day on the farm, so they went to bed. So George, the father, John, who is 23, and George Jr., who is 16, headed to bed much earlier than everyone else. And so by the time that Jenny at 10 p.m. said, okay, you guys can stay up late, they were already fast asleep. As mother Jenny was telling them, don't forget to do your chores. Don't forget to turn out the lights and lock the doors. She takes two-year-old Sylvia upstairs to go to bed. Jenny was startled at 1230 in the morning when all of a sudden she heard the phone ringing. Now this was back in 1945, so it wasn't a cell phone. So she had to head to the main room of the home where their phone was kept. So Jenny went downstairs to answer the phone. The caller was a woman and she didn't recognize her voice. And she asked for someone who didn't live at the house and it wasn't a name she was familiar with. And when she said, I'm sorry, you must have the wrong number. There was lots of laughter and glasses clinking in the background until she made this weird laugh and she clicked the phone and hung up. So Jenny, at that point, she hung up and she returned to bed. But as she was going to bed, she noticed that the lights were still on. The curtains weren't drawn. These were two things that the kids normally did by themselves when the ki- when the parents went to bed earlier than the children. She also looked over and found Marion, the 17-year-old sister. She had fallen asleep on the living room couch. So Jenny had thought, oh, the other kids must have stayed up late and then headed to bed on their own. And they actually slept up up in the attic. So she closed the curtains, turned the lights, and she returned to bed. A short while later at 1 a.m., Jenny again was awoken by the sound of an object hitting the house's roof with a loud bang and then a rolling noise. After she didn't hear anything further, she went back to sleep. And in another half an hour, she woke up again to the smell of smoke. When she got up to check what was going on, she found that the room that her husband George usually used for his office was on fire around the telephone line and the fuse box. She then woke up George, who George went and got his two sons, John, who was 23, and George Jr., who was 16. So both the parents and four of their children, so it was um, Jenny, George, the parents, And then Marion, the 17-year-old sister, Sylvia, the two-year-old, John and George Jr., they all escaped the house. And they were currently yelling frantically upstairs in the attic for the kids to wake up, but they couldn't hear anything. They didn't hear anything from the children. And the stairway was already aflame, so they couldn't head up the stairs to go get the children. So John, the older brother, said in his first police interview that he actually went up to the attic to get his siblings that were asleep. But he later changed his story and said that he only called up there and didn't actually see his siblings upstairs. I mean, this whole thing is so strange. But to add to it, there was even more complications. So they get outside. And I mean, can you frantically think, oh my goodness, my house is on fire and there's my children in the house. And so they were trying to rescue the children. So the first thing they did was they actually went to go get a ladder which usually they kept this ladder rested against the side of the house, but they couldn't find this ladder. So George, the dad, barefoot, climbed up the wall and broke the attic window, and he actually cut his arm in the process. 
but he wasn't able to get through that way. So there was a water barrel that they were going to try to use to help extinguish the fire, but since it was December, it was frozen solid. George then tried to pull both of the trucks he used for his business up to the house to try to use them to climb to the attic window, but neither of them would start. So both of these trucks that normally worked just fine and have worked fine the day before would not start. So he couldn't use them to get to the house. Also at the time, the phones weren't working. So Marion ran to the neighbors to call the fire department. A driver nearby on the road had also seen the flames and went to a nearby tavern to try to call the police or a fire department as well. But they were unsuccessful because the operator could not reach them or because the phone turned out to be broken. So here they are kind of in the middle of nowhere and they are just watching their house just go down in flames with five of their children in the house. It took 45 minutes for their house to completely collapse and burn down. And they just had to stand there and watch. And they assumed that the other five children had perished in this blaze. Because of the war, they were really low on manpower in the fire department. So they did not have a very stable fire department and really didn't have a way to reach them and respond. And the fire department didn't come until later that morning. Chief F.J. Morris said the next day he had already had a slow response that was further hampered by his inability to drive the fire truck. So the fire truck chief didn't know how to drive the fire truck. So he had to wait until someone else could come and drive it for him. The firefighters arrived and at that time the house had pretty much burnt down. So all they could do was look through the ashes that were all left in the Sodders basement. And by 10 a.m. Morris told the Sodders that they had not found any bodies as they normally would have found if the house would have burned down. There was another account that said they did find some few bone fragments, but they chose not to tell the family, but they're not really sure which account is believable. And it's also noted by the modern fire professionals today that their search was not a typical search that you would do after there was a fire, especially if they were assumed to have been trying to find bodies in this fire. But the chief decided that they must have died in the fire. And what had happened was the fire was so hot that it burned their bodies completely. So there was nothing left but ash. So the chief told the dad, George, to leave the site undisturbed and said that the fire marshals needed to come do a thorough investigation to figure out what happened. So they were waiting for four days and George and Jenny just could not wait anymore. So he went and got a bulldozer himself and he bulldozed five feet of dirt over the top of the site to convert it into a memorial garden over the lost children. So this is four days later. They should normally conduct an investigation to figure out what could have possibly happened to these children. But instead, the dad takes it upon himself to push dirt over the site where his children might be. Um, I mean, they would be buried at that point, but he decided to put dirt over it, which made the investigation even more confusing. It was decided that the fire was actually caused by faulty wiring. And by December 30th, there were five death certificates handed to George and Jenny. The local newspaper contradicted itself, stating that all the bodies had been found. But later in the same story, reporting that only one of the parts of the bodies was found. 
George and Jenny, they were so grief-stricken, they couldn't even go to the funeral on January 2nd, although all of the other surviving children did make it to the funeral. So this is just such a strange story. So many things don't add up. It is super confusing. So what happened after this, they got really confused. The Sauter family was super confused by the findings. They didn't understand and they started to question some of these official findings from the fire department and from the local authorities. One thing they questioned was, was it an electrical problem? Okay, so you've got electricity in your house, and if things are wired incorrectly, it can actually be very dangerous. And it is plausible that if they are wired incorrectly, it can completely start a fire. That totally makes sense. But the thing is, when you usually have an electrical fire, it makes the electricity short out, which means the electricity stops in your house. Okay, so why if this was an electrical fire, allegedly, why were the Christmas lights on during the first stages of the fire? The power should have gone out. Also, you remember how they went to go get the ladder that was on the side of their house. They thought, we're going to take this ladder and go climb up into the attic window and go save the children. Well, the ladder was gone. They ended up finding that ladder later at the bottom of an embankment 75 feet away or 23 meters. Definitely not where they would have put it because that is far away from the home, not where you would store a ladder at all. So why weren't their telephones working? A telephone repairman told the Sodders that the house's phone line had not been burned through the fire. So why wouldn't have the phone have worked? They actually had found that it had been cut and it had been cut by someone who was willing and able to climb 14 feet or 4.3 meters up a pole and reach two feet away from the house or the pole to make that happen, which that's a really big distance and not everybody would go ahead and tackle that. So a man who the neighbors had actually saw, he was found stealing a block and tackle from the property, which is like a pulley system. So this was also around the time of the fire and he was actually identified and arrested and he admitted to the theft. He claimed he'd actually been the one who cut the phone line thinking it was a power line, but he didn't he said, I had nothing to do with the fire. Although there was no record of the suspect at all. And there was no questioning about why they would want to cut any utility lines to the solder house and no reason that they wanted to cut the block and tackle. It was there was nothing on this person. Usually when they arrest somebody, they at least get like their name and they, they didn't get anything from him. So they have no idea who this was. Jenny, the mother, later said in 1968 that if the man would have cut the power line instead of the phone line, she and her husband and the kids that made it out wouldn't have been able to make it out of the house. And let's talk about the children's bodies. So she had a really hard time believing that all of these bodies would have completely burned up in 45 minutes in this fire. In fact, many of the household appliances had already been found and they were still recognizable. She actually did some studying and realized that there was a family of seven that had been killed in a fire and their skeletal remains of the victims had all been found in that case. So to her, it didn't make any sense. 
She actually did some studies with some animal bones she found, and she could never get them to consume, be consumed by fire. So she went to a local crematorium. The crematorium is where they burn the dead, so all that's left is ashes. Some people prefer their bodies to be cremated after they die. So she went over there, and she asked them about burning human remains. I mean, this is something they do all the time. And they said that the bodies would be burned about 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit or 1,090 Celsius for two hours, which is far longer and hotter than the house fire ever could have been. And let's talk about George's truck. Remember how he went to go get his truck so he could try to move them underneath the attic so he could climb on top of them to try to reach the top of the attic to get his children. So remember how they both wouldn't start when they all started the day before. So George actually believed that the trucks had been tampered with and it might have been by that same man who was trying to steal from them and he accidentally cut the phone line. And what about this call? This call that happened about 1230 at night that was a wrong number. So some accounts have suggested that the wrong number phone call to the Stodder's house might have also been connected to the fire and the disappearance of the children. I mean, it's not normal that you get a call at 1230 at night. However, the investigators later did find the local woman who did make the call, and she said that this was a complete accident and it was a wrong number on her part. Now, there was some strange evidence that began to occur. So there was a driver of a bus who actually had passed through Vayetteville on that late Christmas Eve, and he said he had seen people throwing balls of fire at the house. When the snow began to melt a few months later, Sylvia found a small, hard, dark green rubber ball-like object in the brush nearby. And they began to remember what Jenny had heard that night. She said that she heard a loud thump on top of the roof and it said it rolled down. What it actually looked like was a pineapple bomb or some kind of hand grenade. The family later claimed, despite what the chief fire marshal had talked about, the family actually claimed that the fire had started on the roof. Although at this point in time, there was no way to prove it. Also, directly after the fire, so many sightings started. Many people reported seeing the Sodder children. They were reported supposedly being spotted in a passing car watching the blaze. The morning after the fire, about 50 miles away, they said that they spotted the children with some Italian-speaking adults when they came in for a breakfast. George and Jenny were sure that their children were not dead, that they did not die in that fire and that someone had taken them. So they made a billboard near the site of their former home, which featured photos of the five children, and they announced a $10,000 reward for the safe return of their children. They never gave up. And in fact, 23 years after the fire in 1968, Jenny got an envelope in the mail. It had been mailed from a city in Kentucky and there was no return address, just the postmark saying where it was from. And inside was a photograph of a young man. And on the back was written, Louis Sauter, I love brother Frankie, little boys. And it said A90132 or a90135. The police really thought it was some cruel joke or prank that they had been played on this family that had been waiting for their family to come back after all these years. But George and Jenny thought the photograph looked exactly how Lewis would have looked as an adult. 
So they hired this private investigator to go to the city in Kentucky and see if he could figure out who it was. So the investigator took his fee and he was never heard from again. So he basically stole their money and never they never found out the answer. So the photograph was basically the last piece of evidence that ever came into light that the kids might have still been alive. George passed away in 1969 and Jenny would die 20 years later. They never believed that their children died in the fire early that Christmas morning. They truly believed that their children had been taken by someone else. People still today are trying to figure out the puzzle of the missing solder children. They don't know what happened to them. And there is so much evidence and strange things that happened in this case that I didn't even go into. But if this is something you're interested in, I would definitely check out the solder children disappearance and figure out if you can find out what happened to this family. Next week, there will be no new episode. I'm going to take the week of Christmas off unless you're a Patreon. If you are a Patreon, you will get your bonus episode next week so you don't have to skip a beat. If you'd like to be a Patreon, it's $5 a month and you get a bonus episode every month. Plus, you get to enter in some ideas of what you would like the monthly episode to be about. Make sure you check out our website, the Mystery Kids Podcast. That's where I have the picture of the adult Lewis, that what they think is the adult Lewis, and some other pictures of these children, and maybe what had happened at the family farm. So thank you so much for listening, and happy holidays from the Mystery Kids Podcast family to your family. Thanks for listening.